I'm Phil Williams. This is Natalie Jameson. We do a books podcast called Bestsellers. And Tony Kent, who's organised this so brilliantly, asked us to come down and do an episode live. And we thought, yeah, man, we're in. So what we normally do on our podcast is we get one writer on and we speak to them when they've got a new book out. They read an excerpt of the book for us. And then the very last question we ask every writer we have on is, can you recommend us some other books that you've loved? And so we will still do that at the end today. We obviously won't get them all to read because they're all at various stages of their kind of promo writing careers. So um, we said, well, we can only do it if we can interview some top, top writers. And we have got some top, top writers to speak to. Do you want to kick the intros off? Yeah, so I'm going to start with Claire McIntosh. Uh, so Claire is such an empathetic writer. The first book I read of yours, Claire, I let you go, made me cry. And I imagine your upcoming non-fiction, I promise it won't always hurt like this, which is reflecting on grief since the death of her son 18 years ago, is going to do the same. A former police officer, Claire's recently taken us to North Wales for her detective series about Theon Morgan and how apt that as Big Brother returns to TV, her latest A Game of Lies imagines a cruel reality TV show turned murder investigation. Something you're not telling us. Fiction for sure. So welcome to Claire. Tony Kent is with us. Tony is the creator of the High Octane Dempsey and Devlin series. No Way to Die is Tony's latest Joe Dempsey thriller. He's also the brains behind this whole festival. And perhaps most importantly of all, but perhaps least known of all, he's a former title-winning boxer. So when he asked us if we'd come and be part of this panel, I wasn't going to say no to him. <laughs> uh, he's got a book coming out next year, but I don't know what the title of it is. If only it was on every bag around the building. Um, Tony cost, Kent, me a lot of money. <laughs> Big round of applause for Tony. So, Mark Billingham is a writer of books and TV. He's an actor, a comedian, and a musician. Some might call him a polymath. We wouldn't, don't worry. <laughs> I jest, of course. He's gifted us the character of Detective Tom Thorne in a very successful series and has recently shown us a new unlikely hero, Declan Miller, who dances and detectives, because I think that is a verb, right? His way through his recent book, The Last Dance. Welcome, Mark Billingham. Uh, and last but by no means least, this handsome man to my left, a hugely respected barrister, author of three novels, the first of which, You Don't Know Me, was adapted for television, shown by the BBC, currently available on Netflix. His latest novel is called All I Said Was True, which for me is a bit rich from a barrister. Please welcome Imran <laughs> Mamou. So let me start at the, um, at the basics for all of you. Where, where do we find you at the moment in your kind of writing calendar? Claire, you go first and we'll come down the line. Oh, uh, in my writing cycle, I am promoting a game of lies. So I'm doing loads of events like this, traveling around the, the country. And I am in the first draft stage of a brand new book. A standalone or part of the series? Um, no, this is part of the series. It's the next book in the series. But I, um, because I've got a non-fiction book coming out next year, my next, the next in the series isn't coming out till 2025. And of course, what happened is as soon as my editor said, okay, so actually we won't need this, you know, you're not, it's not going to be published for another year. Instead of writing it and getting it out of the way, I went, Oh, great. <laughs> took six months off, and now I'm like, shit, I'm really late. Tony? 
Um, I am waiting for the release in February of the book that you've been seeing all day on the back of everyone's bags, which is The Shadow Network. Uh, that's the next in the Devlin and Dempsey series. That is a, um, it's, it's a thriller, as they all are, set in 50-50 between The Hague and upstate New York. It's all about Russian sleeper agents and Russian espionage, etc., etc. I have no idea where the idea could have come from. <laughs> in terms of where I am in the writing stage, um, it depends who asks. If you ask, I'll tell you that I've got this idea I'm very excited about, which is a Michael Devlin idea. Uh, pure legal thriller again. I've only written one of those. Uh, pure legal thriller that's set 50% now and 50% back when Michael Devlin was a new barrister. Because I love the idea of actually writing his life when he was new. The job was very different in the early part of the century. And the world was very different then. It's a great way to show the difference in both the, you know, the criminal justice system and, and society generally when you keep jumping back to this case that he did before that juxtaposed to the case that he does now. Um, if my publishers ask that, I'm well into it. Uh, and we're doing really well. If you ask, I'm still thinking about it. <laughs> I appreciate your honesty. Mark B, what about you? Uh, well, I've just finished three or four months of shameless, shamelessly pimping uh, The Last Dance, so doing events and stuff, which I love. That's fine. Uh, just put the finishing touches, the very, very last touches to the second Miller book, which is out next year. Uh, like literally writing the acknowledgements, which is always the very, very last thing you do. Um, and I'm 10,000 words into the next Tom Thorne novel, which will be out in 2025, where I burn my series to the ground. Wow. <laughs> <laughs> This, is, this isn't actually going out, is no. it? This no, no, no. no, no, no. He, he now just wants to have a mark into this. <laughs> I saw that reaction. Like, what are these other guys doing? Eyes. Doing what? I've had a drink. <laughs> We've all had a long day. Uh, Imran? Well, I'm continuing on from Mark Billingham's um, novel that he's finishing. Um, because <laughs> it seems to me that's a ready-made idea. I could use that. Uh, um, well, I've got book four, which is coming out next year. It's called Finding Sophie. I'm quite excited about it. Standalone, another standalone thriller. I'm excited because for the first time ever, I've got an American publisher. I've never had one of those before, as well as a UK publisher. So that's really exciting. And and, sorry, just explain what that means, because your books have been available in America before, haven't they? Yeah, they, they've been available. They've been available kind of everywhere. Like, like once I went to <laughs> went to Dubai, and I saw one of my books in the mall. So I went over and I said um, to the kind of the, the teller, "Would you like me to sign it?" Because my because my publishers always said to me, "If you ever see your book in a bookshop, just take it and ask them if they want it signed." So I took this book and I said to the woman, um, can, "Can I sign it?" And she said, "Do you do you want to buy it?" I said, oh, "No, I just want to sign it." She said, "What? You want to you want to write in the book?" <laughs> I said, "Well, yes. Why? Well, I want to sign the book." She went, "Well, have you paid for it?" I said, "I haven't paid for it." <laughs> she went, "Well, why do you want to write in the book then?" I said, because I wrote the book. She said, you've already written in it. <laughs> it's a fair point. She has a, a very point. valid point. Very valid point. You call yourself a barrister. What are you doing? <laughs> anyway, uh, but... Um, they well, wait, did, did you write in the book? In the end, I just gave up because there, there was a queue of people behind me looking at me as if I was some kind of criminal. And I thought... And in fairness, you're in Dubai and they will shoot yeah, you. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> yeah, so, so they're kind of available in, in different places, but... I, I don't have a Dubai publisher or an American publisher for that book. 
so they'll get imported. Whereas um, for this one, there's Penguin uh, Random House in the States is publishing it in the States with a different jacket. And so it'll be available there as a kind of book that they've got out over there rather than having to import it at kind of twice the price. I think. I think that's the difference. So for anybody who's listened to our podcast before, and if you haven't, you should, um, I tend to go off on tangents when the whim takes me and uh, as it's about to. I wanted to jump to the end of your books because just hearing you talking about the, you're writing the acknowledgements, Mark, how tricky are the acknowledgements? Have you ever annoyed people by leaving them off when you've written like dozens of books? Do you run out of people to thank? Are you, how do you kind of like keep going back to the acknowledgements and making them real? You can start, Mark. Oh, great. Uh, Thank the, you. The important thing is that when people do help you, and it's impossible to get to the end of a book without lots of people helping you, uh, you should make a note of it. You should have a little sort of document as part of your folder that says, you know, people that have helped me. Because by the time you finish the book and you go to write the list of acknowledgements, you've forgotten. You go, oh, God, who was that person that really helped me with all that stuff about libraries? Or who was that pathology person I spoke to? So obviously you have to thank all, but in, inevitably there are people I've thank now in 23 books you know the same I've always I've only ever had one publisher I've only ever had one agent I've only ever had so because I'm loyal or scared um, <laughs> <laughs> whichever sounds better um, but it, no it is a kind of I, I try to make acknowledgements sort of funny because there's only so many times you can go thank you to that person yeah. thank yeah. you to that person I so I do what what you do or, or what you've just said you do and at the end of my document I don't know how he keeps a a record of things but I so I have like a notes section at the end of my my document and I'll just throw stuff down there people that I know I need to include the bit I find hard is the thanks you know to my family my sort of the people that if I'm honest they haven't really helped (laughs) I, I feel like I should say thank you to them and that, you know, I, I feel disingenuous just doing it. Is it more that if they haven't helped, they've at least tolerated you whilst they've you've gone into the end of yeah. the book mode? I, do, I mean, sometimes I just sort of want to write, do you know what, you made this book twice as hard to write because of all the times you interrupted me or needed lifts or, you know, were hungover because you had four ciders at a young farmer's rally. <laughs> um, and, you know, at the end of the day, I'm working my arse off to provide you with said ciders and next time could I think I'm I'll just stop there it's also it's also a chance to get stuff off your chest you know you go thank you thank you thank you and by the way yeah. you know there's, a, there's so like, there's, there's a reason I'm not missing you there's a thing I've just written in the acknowledgements I've just written where copy editors who we will all tell you save save our lives on you know multiple occasions by going Actually, you know, why are his eyes blue in chapter three and then brown in chapter six, and, you know, whatever it is. So they, they pick you up on all sorts of mistakes. But my copy editor, who is brilliant, pointed out to me <laughs> that there's a, there's a joke in the book where Miller is thinking about the, some of the more bizarre deaths he's attended, more bizarre murders, one of which involved somebody who died, uh, who, ha- who had a severe nut allergy and died after a game of Russian roulette involving a bag of revels. Now, I think it's a really good joke. But my copy editor said, I think you'll find there haven't been nuts in Revels. <laughs> right. <laughs> Which is what, that's what copy editors do. Right. So I've taken the chance in my acknowledgements to go, listen, before you start writing letters, I know there haven't been nuts in Revels, but I'm not going to let facts get in the way of a good joke. Yeah. So, is, you know. I, I once got, um, uh, that is a story you know. Go on. Um, which is that um, 
by way of a kind of statement, the acknowledgement is really a thank you. Um, when the um, TV thing was being made, my director and I had a chat, and he says, "Your director, the director, <laughs> my, my director, my director, sir. my director." He said to me, <laughs> "He's there in the back. Yeah. <laughs> Listen, love, he's sitting with the valets." Uh, so the, the director said to me, "Look, as a kind of thank you, do you want to do, do you want me to do something special for your for your wife?" I said, "If you could do something, <laughs> hey, hey, watch if you could do something." Someone needs to touch you. That would be brilliant. He says, don't worry, I've, I've got it now. Um, you can tell her that there's something in there special for her. It's episode two, and it's about halfway through. So it's all right. <laughs> so I spent about a week, two weeks, kind of leading up to it, saying to uh, my wife, I've got something special for you. I've lined this up for you. It's taken a lot of effort, pulled a lot of strings, and it's about to come on. So we were sitting there. I'd obviously not seen it. And we're waiting for it. And um, we get to the bit. And what's happened? Because I, because I spoke to the, the director. I said, what have you done? He said, well, I've named the prosecutor after your wife. I said, brilliant. So we're sitting there watching it. And uh, the prosecutor stands up. The wig oh, on. I thought you said prostitute. <laughs> I really did. I thought this is the treat you've lined up, is it? <laughs> She'll be thrilled. Prostitute, yeah. <laughs> prosecutor. Okay. Prosecutor. Right, so the prosecutor's there. She's got a wig on, okay. but she's still a lawyer. <laughs> different kind of, it's a different kind of wig. Yeah. <laughs> different kind of wig. And she stands up, and she does her bit, and the judge says, uh, well, thank you very much, Mrs. Mahmood. And my wife, who's never gone by the name Mahmood, <laughs> says to me, oh, I see that they've named the prosecutor after your mum. <laughs> <laughs> so I phoned out my mum. And I said, Mum, I've got a very special surprise for you. <laughs> Excellent, well done. Well recovered. Uh, I, in, in my, the acknowledgements, my publishers, when they do my proofs now, have started leaving extensive pages for my acknowledgements because I, I notoriously get carried away. I've actually had a couple of bad reviews on Amazon saying, I really enjoyed this book, but what were those acknowledgements about? <laughs> so, really? It's like, yeah, but you, he's thanked everyone. And I just can't help it. I, I genuinely, even on the current one, the acknowledgements are in the proof. And I've looked back on them and I just thought, what was I thinking when I wrote those? I, I thought I was being quick this time. But you say about uh, thanking family and friends. I actually say in this one, thank you to Joseph, because I wanted to name him, for doing absolutely nothing. <laughs> you've, you've been a hindrance, if anything. This is um, <laughs> thank you, anyway. Tony's little boy. Yeah, sorry, my, my little boy that was running around earlier, ruining panels. But... Um, but yeah, it's 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 a really weird thing, acknowledgements. It's it's almost a personal thing. It's become a bit of a personal thing to me with my wife and my mum and my sister, really. And I always they all each get their own paragraph. And as much as I try not to do it, I can't not do it. I think it's that thing, isn't it? It's really hard because you don't want to be disingenuous, but you also don't want to do that thing where I'm awful at LinkedIn. I don't know if anybody uses LinkedIn where people just self-congratulate themselves the whole time yeah. and I can't bear it. <laughs> I think I think it is important to thank the people at your publishers who yep. who don't otherwise get any kind of credit at all. I mean, obviously it's their job, and they get you know they get paid for it and stuff. But I know that a couple of years ago there was there was talk. So I think they do it in America about credit. There was talk of actually having credits like you get at a movie where they would say you know jacket designed by this and production by this person and whatever. 
Um, but that hasn't happened here there yet are, too there much. There are. There are a couple of publishers yeah, in the UK who, oh, who do that. And I, because I talked about doing that. We, we share a publisher, yeah. don't we? Um, and so I had this conversation with our publisher. And in the end, we concluded that the risk of missing someone out, because yeah. that really is everyone. They, yeah. they will list contracts and, you know, payroll and just yeah. everything. That people come and go in publishing quite a lot. Suddenly there'll be a new publicity assistant. It, it becomes a bit risky, I think. Whereas the author's acknowledgements are a much more sort of personal thanks. Well, it's kind of weird to to do a job and then want an acknowledgement. I, I find that kind of weird. So I yeah. go I go to court and then afterwards I don't expect a full <laughs> list of thanks. We are we are very different kinds of barristers. I want them to acknowledge you. everything I did. But no, I mean, I am seriously grateful to the to the woman at my publisher who's responsible for getting my books into the bloody supermarket. Yeah, so yeah. I'm, we're all hugely grateful for that stuff, you know. Um, so it doesn't hurt to say thank you. We do once want a year, to be told you know? we've done a good job, yeah, yeah, don't, yeah. don't we? Yeah. I mean, I, I have. The heartless well, I think so. I, I have a um, a letter from a CPS barrister when I was a police officer congratulating me on the quality of my file submission. Oh, nice. <laughs> I still have that. <laughs> Creative writing at its finest. <laughs> um, I wanted to ask, because it struck me when you were sitting up where you were with your, your writing pads, that three of you are currently immersed in writing a series and you've persisted with the standalones. You're on four standalones. So I wonder, Claire, if I could start with you and then obviously you guys come in after. Why should Imran do a series? Oh, he shouldn't. Oh, so they're not. Because it is so much harder than I thought. I, I, was, um, I was under the complete misapprehension that writing a series was easier. And I used to feel quite envious of people who wrote series when I was writing standalones. And I kind of think, God, they have it so easy. They've got, you know, they don't have to create new characters or a new world. They just lob a new investigation at them and, you know, and carry on where they left off. And so I really thought it was easier. And then when I started writing uh, A Game of Lies, which is the second book in, in the Theon Morgan series, I realised that it's much, much harder because actually although you've got a small cast of the same characters, you're, you're pulling in a load of new ones because you're inevitably writing in a new kind of world within your universe. So you, you might have written a book set in a, a school and now you've got, you know, something around a bowls club, I don't know. Um, and so you're, you're creating new characters and you're creating new settings and you've got to remember what you did before and try and kind of not spoil the twists and the reveals in the previous book and i i'm finding it twice as hard so no don't do it i think you should do it oh. um, okay the reason i think you should do it uh, i'm going to be nice to you for once i hate this um <laughs> no i'm gonna be nice to you for once you write some of the best characters uh, you write some of the people maybe it's because we do the same job and therefore i recognize these characters from our lives you know we meet people that the other guys probably don't meet and, and you do them so well but I want to meet them again. And the only way to meet them again is, is to meet them in a series. And I think there's, I, I love writing a series because I get totally immersed in the characters. And I'm, I will often introduce in, in a book maybe one or two new characters, well, a lot more than that every time. But there'll always be one or two that I fall in love with and that I want to meet again. And so my spider chart of future books becomes, I might have something about Bambi O'Rourke in a few books. I really liked her. Um, and, and I'll probably never, ever, ever get to that. But you have that moment where you fall in love with them and you want to have them again. And 
you should have that experience where you get to write them again because it is great to write them again when you know them and when when they're going to when they're going to speak without you writing them really if that makes any sense where, where it's, of course you're writing them but you're not really thinking they're just speaking because you know them and it's something you don't get to do as much because you're creating these new characters each time okay so that's one one excuse me i wonder if your perspective is going to be interesting in as much as you're between claire and tony aren't you in that you've done and are still doing a long-running series. Tom Thorne's still going. But this year, you hit us with a brand-new series. So you've got to then create these brand-new characters, a brand-new setting, and make us believe that this has been going on all the while, which, by the way, you did. Last Dance is fantastic. If you haven't read The Last Dance, it's really worth checking I, I think I'm, I'm, a, I'm a bit on the fence. It's kind of, it, it is easier in some of the ways Claire was suggesting, because you have got these kind of tent pegs. You have got... You know there are going to be these characters. You know there are always going to be that scene's going to happen. They're going to be in that location talking about the case. The, you know, and also you know that readers want those. Yeah. It's like when you go and see your favourite band in concert. You know, the last thing you want to hear is here's some tracks from our new album. You know, you want you want the hits and the audience kind of do. So you, you do have that. But by the time you've written eighteen of the buggers, you've also got an awful lot of backstory, which which the Irish writer John Connolly once described as being like Jacob Marley dragging his chains around. You've got all this shit that you have to deal with that's happened to your characters. <laughs> and to pretend it hasn't happened is che- you're kind of cheating. Mm. Even when you get to the point when, well, if they talk about this, I'm going to completely give away that massive thing that happened in the last book. And eventually you have to stop caring about that and go, I've got to do it. Mm. I've just got to do it. Mm. I don't care if it's a massive spoiler for the previous no, and, book. And, and, and even potentially early on, so I'm obviously really new to this, this series game, but I, um, when I delivered my second book... I had deliberately kept back a, a really big plot point that occurred in book one because it was such a spoiler. And my editor said, it, it just doesn't work. Like it, it may, that, that character is now behaving in a way that they wouldn't because of what they learned in the first book. Where, you know, you've got to spoil it. You dance around it. Yeah. You dance around it by constantly talking about the thing, you yes. know, that thing. And it ends and then up it's being frustrating completely for people realistic. That have read it, you know, from this, the beginning. This massive thing happened at the end of the last Thorn book. And even though it'll be like three years before the next one, they can't not talk about it. It's, do you know what I mean? Um, but it's also harder to be as excited 18 books into a series as you were at the beginning, whereas like marriage, I'm, 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 I'm massively excited about a new series, just because it is a new series. But I've always been jealous of people who write standalones, because you just think, you know, also, how do you say goodbye to those characters at the end of it? Have you not been written a standalone? For, yeah, I've written four or five, but uh, but it's always been as a break. Jealous of yourself. A break from the series. No, it's just that it's like a kind of, in order to keep a series fresh, you know. And the, and the, I'm learning from you know people like Michael Connolly. It's not like a new thing, but you know where they write. Connolly wrote three or four, maybe five Bosch books, and then wrote the Poet, which actually happened to be his huge breakthrough book. But that's the way. Though writers of that stature keep their series fresh, I think, by doing something else for a year. You know. So presumably, the way that you're told to not put any of those spoilers into your series books is because the assumption is that anybody could come to any of your books in a series and pick it up. And yeah, that's the dream. But it, yeah, but it, you know. it, it just it, that just doesn't work if you're writing a, if you're writing a series. In my very first book, Michael Devlin, one of, one of my two recurring characters, meets a journalist called Sarah um, Freeman. By my fifth book, uh, we begin at, at the christening of their twin sons. And you just you just can't not have that connection. I always take the view that the book you're writing is the book you're writing, and you write it as the status quo. And their life is what their life is at that point. And if you know how they got there, all all the better. 
So you don't know how they got there. That's where they are. And mm. you can't you can't hide stuff. Where it gets tricky is when readers say to you, "Never read anything you've written. Where should I start?" Because <laughs> the Number sort of buy them all. No, but but the sort of <laughs> anal retentive part of you, which is quite big in, in me, wants to go. Well, book one. Obviously, you start at the beginning of the series, yeah. but you also would hope you're a better writer than you were when you wrote that first book. So you want to, do you know what I mean? You want to go, well, the most recent book. And then if you like it, fine, go back. But it's always a very tricky thing to, you know, to tell people where should they start. Well, this feels like a, a good point to tell you that um, one of my friends listened to our episode of the podcast that you were on, Mark, fairly recently talking about The Last Dance. They hadn't read any of your books before and then they went and bought eight since then, they've now gone through eight of yours. So. What, what are we on for that? Hey! <laughs> are we on 15% for that? No, nothing at all. But I, again, it's like they, they started with that one and then they just discovered your back catalogue. That's awesome. it. Having heard the very... That's what I was going to ask. Yeah, the very... Now, what's your verdict? Well, very, very, very persuasive argument. What, it, just in the space of them uh, talking about it, I've decided... And <laughs> uh, uh, not just decided. I, I, I think I've got an idea together, and not just an idea for a series. I think I've also got a title. Now, the title's going to be The First Friday Club, and it's going to feature a retirement <laughs> community. Okay. Of, you know, with lots of different people, yeah. very skilled in their own uh, way. Yeah. I think it'd be a great. Um, no one's done it. No one's done it. Sounds very original. <laughs> <laughs> But, but genuinely, I think um, you need to get taller. I, I, think, <laughs> I think it's too hard. It sounds very difficult. And for me, writing, the, the best thing about writing standalone is that usually what happens is by the time I've got to the end of it, unedited and proof edited and copy edited, I, I kind of I'm done with it. I don't want to see them, hear them, speak to them <laughs> anymore. I want to do something else and meet new people. And I think if I had to keep going back to the characters I've written, because I don't do them as well as these guys do that, then I probably wouldn't do it very well. I think the key to that is this. Base one of your main characters on your favourite movie character, and you'll always be happy to go back there. I base Joe Dempsey on Maximus from Gladiator. He, in my view, is what Maximus would be in the 20th century. And I always want to see Maximus again. So... It's easy to write. Are oh, you entertained? <laughs> exactly. I see Joe Dempsey saying that in a calf somewhere in the yeah. UN. Yeah. That's a great. I was about to do that speech, but I won't. My daughter would kill me. Um, so usually in our podcast, we, as Phil was saying, we get them, the authors who come and speak to us, to read an excerpt from their latest book. But we're not going to do that today. So instead, what we have prepared is we found a sentence from each of your recent books, and we want to see if you can spot your own writing. <laughs> oh, yeah. I have I have been in this situation before. There was they used to do a, they used to do a, um, like a Radio Four Christmas quiz, like front row. Front yeah. row used to do a Christmas quiz, and I was one of the team captains. And they read excerpts from books, and we had to just identify the book. And they read this excerpt out, and I just went, "No, don't recognise it, but it's terrible." <laughs> Genuine, I said it's turgid, and someone there going, "That's one of yours." <laughs> and it really was just a horrible experience. Uh, this, this, I feel that's going to happen this now. This would be a You're great welcome. game to play with a panel of celebrities who have written books. Would it? Oh, yeah, yeah, wouldn't it, though? Yeah. Don't recognise that. that. No, I've never seen that. <laughs> it's funny you should mention that. We tried to then... So this was Natalie's idea. Credit to Natalie. I came up with the title, but it's gone, sadly. But I thought the title should be Whose Line Is It Anyway? <laughs> but it's been done. Okay. So you're going to go first? Just so you can go first. Oh, okay, yeah, I'll go first. Okay. Go. So, uh, and have we taken these from the most... Was the rule that had to be the most recent book? 
I thought it was. Okay, but fine. <laughs> yeah, let's yeah. see. No, no, no. I've, okay. I've complied. Okay. I've complied. Okay. Okay, line number one. And you can each have a, a say, and then we'll tell you the answer at the end. Okay. Line what are we one. supposed to do? Go, that's, that's yeah. one of... Yeah, you have an each. So you each have a guess, and you say... Oh, yeah. okay. In my okay. view, I think it's Claire's, right. I think it's Tony's. Oh, okay. But if it's, you think it's yours, you can say it's yours as well. You can have a punt on yourself. Okay. Okay? okay. okay. And the prize is nothing. No. no. <laughs> okay, line number one, then. Whose line is this? Trust me, I've never met a single copper who likes opera or drives a quirky yet distinctive car. I'll do it again. Trust me, I've never met a single copper who likes opera or drives a quirky yet distinctive car. Yeah. Imran, whose line Mark. is it? That Mark, sounds right? like Mark. Come on, yeah, yeah, that's mine. Yeah. Yes, it is Mark. <laughs> it is Mark, yeah. It's from the last dance. Very good. One from one. Okay, second one. When I steamed out of the HR office moments later, I left the door wide open in protest. It felt puerile. It was puerile, but it made me feel better. Imran, do you want our first guess? Imran's. You're going to say it's yours. <laughs> Mark? Shit. Well, if he but says it's his, I'm, I'm really not going to argue. Yeah, okay. <laughs> Bear in mind, you didn't get your own on Radio 4. No, I, no it's definitely. Tony? Fairness, I was pointing at Imran before Imran. Yeah, oh, okay. Imran. <laughs> Imran. So how did you spot his writing? I... Uh, I, uh, I'm not going to be nice to him again, so I'm not answering the question. <laughs> it's a beautifully constructed sentence. I, he, it, was a, it had HR he, in it. He's a great writer. <laughs> That's the problem. He's a really good writer. It's, it's, it annoys me. It, it really, is. And we, like, we do the yeah. same job, and people ex expect a similar level of, of literary excellence, but and they true. don't get it. <laughs> because those things, like, I chose that sentence because... That's, it's just a great feeling yeah. when you know that you're being childish, but you just can't help it and you yeah. want to make that point. It's so annoying, isn't it? I've just spotted a flaw in this game. Yeah. yeah it's one left. Having, having the people. <laughs> oh, yeah. Yeah. So by the time I do this one, to you the got, next two. You've got one left. To the next two together. Okay, that's a good idea. Okay, should we do the next, the final two? In fact, two merge them. Merge yeah. them. <laughs> okay, uh, so I'll do this one, then you yeah. can do your yeah. one. Then you have double guess. Good, good. Well rescued, well salvaged. Uh, he looked up, and in that moment, his unknowing eyes locked with his killers, just as the blade bit into the side of his neck and was drawn slowly across his throat. Then he said, are you entertained? <laughs> are you not? <laughs> are you not? That's, 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 that's what I'm guessing. <laughs> we haven't done the last one yet. It could be anybody's. <laughs> <clears throat> She's about to throw something at him when an audible fart erupts from her corner of the office. <laughs> That's my favourite one. It's lovely. I am, I'm very highbrow. What can I say? And present tense. And present tense. Yes. Is, do you ever get, do you ever get I, I, when I've written in the present tense, not very often, you get emails from people going, I can't stand the present tense. No, it's never. A, people, some people just don't like it. Really? Somebody, uh, okay, does anybody here not like the present tense? No, could you not? Because you could get feedback. You books. get feedback from readers going, oh no, the present tense. It's all um, no, fancy. I, I, it's too fancy. So I'll tell you what I have had is I've had discussions in my Facebook group. Bearing in mind my Facebook group is predominantly full of people who like my books. So occasionally <laughs> useful. we'll have a conversation about, you know, books in general and the topic of tenses will come up. And people will, a few people will say, the only thing I really don't like is books written in the present tense. And then someone else will point out that all my books are written in the present tense, and they'll go, 
Are they? <laughs> so and so, so has left they the group. haven't noticed. <laughs> <laughs> do, you, do you ever think that hanging about even online with a load of people who who, ha- who like to spend their time having conversa- conversations about tents <laughs> might <laughs> might mean we're wasting our lives? <laughs> no, there's no greater joy than talking about grammar. I love grammar. Uh, yeah, uh, all my books are in the future pluperfect. <laughs> <laughs> They're not going to. With a dash of subjunctive. <laughs> well, let's, let's, now let's get into the future books then because you both, on the end, have got one of the three of you got books out in the next six months. So we you waiting longer for your next one? May, May next year. A similar kind of time yeah. frame. Yes. Um, how are you feeling about yours first all in round, given that now you've got this American publisher on board? Does that mean it's going to get, do you feel it will get a greater shove? I feel like it's my kind of big shot. Um, I haven't really had a really big shot, and this feels like it could be it. Th- there is a difference there because what happened was when I was, because uh, I'd written it for the UK publisher, and once it was finished, then it was sent off to the Americans, and the Americans said, "Oh, we've got to make some changes." And I said, "Well, what changes do you need to make?" And they said, "Well, there's quite a, it's a few things that that our readership can handle." Can you I said, well, can That's you tell me what they are? Relax. Relax. Just, just stop. <laughs> Do you live a relax? She. <laughs> <laughs> the dame's out in there. <laughs> Put them up. No, so, so they said, um, and I said, well, what can't you have? And they said, um, well, we can't have a threat or a threat of danger to a dog. And I said, but there are women and children being murdered in this book. That's, is that okay? And they said, yeah, that's fine. We can't have a threat to a dog. <laughs> so they made me get rid of the threat to the dog and also had a prostitute in it. And uh, they, would, they didn't want that. So they had to, had to change the prostitute. Did she have the same name as your wife? <laughs> she did. Uh, yeah, she <laughs> Is the lesson there? It's, it, 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 that's, that's American sensibilities. Is the lesson there that every school should have a dog and a prostitute in it? And then, <laughs> then they wouldn't let people shoot that's them. Brilliant. Right. That but is brilliant. What's brilliant about that is that they let Jack Whitehall loose on Clifford the Big Red Dog. <laughs> if they're comfortable with that, <laughs> they, the Americans are a bit weird. They, um, when when I started, they would change uh, pavement to sidewalk yeah. and you know all that kind of stuff. And you'd point out. They'd go, marketing think it's a bit British. And you'd go, well, duh. <laughs> do you know what I mean? It's set in London. But you, when you're new, you kind of went, yeah, okay, do, do whatever you want. And eventually you start to put your foot down a bit and go, that's ridiculous. Yeah. Especially He's a when hairy it's ass, dialogue. Dialogue. He's a hairy-ass London copper, yeah. copper. He's not talking about trash and no. diapers. And The thing I've noticed from America recently as well is the, um, I'm going to use the term political correctness just for, for ease, uh, although I, it doesn't sit comfortably with me. Um, but the copy edits are coming back. So um, it, I, I had a character mention that, you know, her, her working hours were just insane. And that came back flagged as this is insensitive to people with mental health issues. Can we use another word instead of what? insane? Okay. Um, yeah. So I've had a whole load of them. I think I, um, oh, uh, one of my characters was um, sort of limping. And that was um, that was considered to be offensive to people who had physical disabilities. It was that they're, they're really quite hot. Yeah, I, I, I had a line which people. was talking about somebody wanting to kill themselves. So the character says, "I feel like I want to kill myself," and they said, oh, "No, we uh, have got to have a discussion with um, you know, people who have considered suicide oh, before gosh. we can release this because we've got to make sure that it's hitting the right notes." 
So that's almost, is that a sensitivity reader that does that? Have you all been subjected to that yet? Well, uh, no. they, they started off by saying that they had to speak to somebody who had committed suicide. <laughs> <laughs> They've not got back to us. <laughs> I, I don't know what's happened. We can't publish the book because <laughs> that guy's not replied to the email. <laughs> but yeah, I think yeah, sensitivity reading is a thing now. It's a, it's a, it's a, it's a silly thing. Well, it's it, a thing. No, but I mean, it's there are, place, though. Sensitivity reading can be good at times. So I have a sensitivity reader that, that I, I pay for, I commission right. for... Um, so it's a Welsh sensitivity read. So I'm very conscious of that. <laughs> that. Why, why well, is that funny? Why? I don't, that's not funny. Yeah, it is. Yeah, it's funny. That's why? quite funny. Why is it funnier than like a disability sensitivity read? Well, what or... is it? What is it that? What is it about Welshness? Okay, so because firstly for the Welsh language, so I'm not a first language Welsh speaker. There are bits of Welsh in it, and so. That's something I need to check. There are, you know, Welsh place names that I've made up that I need to make sure aren't, you know, but Are they Welsh sensitivity or are they just accurate? No, it's not sensitivity. It's about there getting are, things wrong. And there's a cultural, right. that there, there is a, a very specific cultural um, difference between North and South Wales that I'm, you know, sometimes explore in the books. And there are, there are things that I genuinely feel... I am not qualified to see the nuances of, and I want somebody who is from that particular background to read it and flag anything that. So you can't have anybody with a big hat and a shawl playing a harp. That's you can't exactly have that. the sort that's of thing. Right no out. leaks, no sheep. No leaks, no. Yeah. Okay, fine. But that's different in a way because that's you, you're, you're asking for an opinion or for advice. Yeah. Yeah. But, so I don't, see, I don't see sensitivity readers as any different from any other expert that we might, you know, I might go to you guys for, for legal help. Um, like not in my personal life, Honestly. but just for both. <laughs> I've, I've seen him in court. Do not do. I think I think one of the one of the reasons this is a thing, and it is a thing. There's no question that it is. Uh, is that the people working in publishing are just getting much younger, and yeah. as we are getting much yeah. older. I I the Speak last book I delivered, one of the people responsible for the book working on the edit had to Google. The man from Del Monte. Right. <laughs> what? Had to, seriously, he went, what does this mean? I don't understand. And no. I'm like, holy shit. Had to Google the man from Del Monte. You know, and it's he, full did of... Did he say yes? <laughs> he did. <laughs> he did. Um, but you know, you do realise you're, you're working with people who don't know who... You, you're, your references are coming but out. But there's another side to that coin, isn't there? Which on, is that on, you on, don't, on, we sorry. don't realise. That's 40 years old. That yeah. Yeah. On these sort of True. things, I'm quite lucky. My, my, my brother's sitting at the back there, and he's 12 years younger than me, and my sister is 10 years younger. And actually, sometimes I'll say stuff to them, and if they don't know it, I think, oh, right, okay. That is, right. that is very specific. Yeah. yeah. But, so, but, so I just want to, I think that's really interesting. I just want to conclude on that. Really, what you're saying, Claire, is that you're employing someone to make sure that you are, I suppose, you, sensitivity is partly, but it's more it's accuracy. No, and it's because I, I am employing someone to make sure that I don't offend somebody. I am very conscious that I am an English person who has moved into Wales and is now writing and making a living from yes. Wales and yeah. from that community. And I'm employing someone to make sure that I haven't inadvertently stereotyped or, you know, uh, that, that I'm not going to cause offence where, to where, that Where I do community. think this is dangerous where it does worry me. We write crime fiction. We create some very, very bad characters, fictional characters, who say and do some really, really bad shit. And 
if people are offended, do you know what I mean? The idea of oh, that what that character yeah. has said is really offensive. Well, they're a horrible character. They should. They be. are meant to be. Do you know what I mean? It's just yeah. it doesn't make any I sense. I did. I had a, a complaint. Um, uh, someone emailed me about um, hostage. So hostage is a locked room thriller set on a twenty-hour flight, and um, there is a guy in that character in that who says some really offensive things about um, the Holocaust. And I had somebody write and complain about my anti-Semitic um, attitude. And I wrote back and I said, it's, it's not me, it's the character. And, you know, not, it wasn't quite as bald and defensive as that. It was obviously, you know, I, I understood that this person was very upset. Um, and they wouldn't have it. They just kept insisting, you know, well, you wrote those words. You put them in the mouth mouth of that character. I'm like, the character is a terrorist. But, but I mean, you know, we never expect a terrorist to be a nice person. <clears throat> this may be slightly sort of, I don't know. That person's a wanker. The moment they're, <laughs> the, the moment they're replying in that way, they're a wanker. Who cares what they have to say about themselves? I think it's, uh, it's just you've explained some it. Some people That's get enough, so upset it? that it clouds their judgment. I think I guess there's, there's, there's probably a difference a very nice between saying a, a character <laughs> who is speaking a, a particular in a particular voice, so, saying something which is true to that character, and a writer writing something which is just <laughs> tone deaf. So there are all of those examples of you know coffee-coloured skin or mm -hmm. unshaped eyes or whatever. And so, so those kinds of things can can fall into the realm of maybe needing advice from a sensitive reader. But if you're but if you want to write something which is offensive, not on the grounds of race or sex or whatever, but but just offensive, I, I think we are and feel free to write offensive things. Well, also if you can't write, you, you know that thing about you, what, what you were just saying. It's about writing well, writing these characters well and with sensitivity. You know that it's sort of almost like the, the thin end of the wedge, where the fat end of it is that you, we are not allowed to write outside our own Cultural ethnicity, which sexuality, is which is just ridiculous because it's the death of fiction. I mean, it quite clearly is just the death of fiction, it's also which the, is an act of imagination, it's also right? Of fiction that's the, it's also the death of fiction that stars minorities, because actually the yes. vast majority yeah. of the writers are straight and white, and it's a kind of male female is, is quite um, evenly. Sort of distributed now but it is mainly straight and white so if you want to apply that rule well, you're not getting any gay characters you're not getting any black characters you're going to get very few asian characters so it's a ridiculous rule it's an absolutely ridiculous rule and it goes back to that yeah it also makes it very challenging if you're writing crime which you are that if the killer is a nice person like where does that <laughs> a lovely well. killer. If the killer is a nice I think you're, right, you're referring to manslaughter. Right? <laughs> <laughs> it can only be manslaughter. I don't want to get technical on you now. But, you know. Is that when you slaughter men? Only men. Yeah, only slaughter men. <laughs> exactly right. We're going to run out of time soon. By the way, we don't normally take questions because obviously it's just Matt and I sat in a room talking to somebody on Zoom. But because you're here, if you want to, I'm sure the guys don't mind. We can do 10 minutes cut Q&A at the end. And since there's 170 of you, yeah. we will be very yeah, keen yeah, yeah. to hear. <laughs> there's probably some good questions amongst that number of Whoa, people. Whoa, there's no, so many of them. Obviously, we won't get to ask all your what questions. What about that guy right at the back? I can't quite see you, but right at the back. Oh, there is, no, no not, not him. Not, not him. him. <laughs> not him. <laughs> Under no circumstances, him. For those of you listening, that's Tony's brother who wants to ask a question. And I will let you do that, mate, and it, make it a good one, but not yet. Um, 
I want to return something you said because I don't want to let you get away with it. You said you're burning thorn to the ground. Are you, were you joking or were you? I knew this was coming. I've got only, only, no, only slightly joking. Okay. Um, well, I, I talked to another crime writer, Luca Veste, about what this was going to happen in this next book, and he said, You're burning it all to the ground. Oh, and I went, Yeah, I suppose I am. Because um, you want to? Because you can? Because uh, I, I feel like I should. Right. I kind of feel like I should. I'm not saying it will. There will never be any more Tom Thorne books. I'm not. I'm not killing him. Okay. okay. But but there's stuff going to happen which will upset some people. But you could always do a Bobby Ewing, and then he wakes up. Yeah. And yeah. It's all, a, it's all a dream. <laughs> right. It's all now a you need to dream. run that by my brother. Only he'll tell you. Doesn't know what it means. <laughs> those, I mean, those moments, showing your age there, Imran. Those moments in books. So that thing where you, I, I, like I say, I'm not going to kill a character. I am going to kill somebody, but it's not going to be him. Um, but but uh, I remember where a writer called Karen Slaughter. Some. 15 years ago, killed off a major character. And I remember reading it, spoiler alert, and I remember reading it, I was sitting on a beach reading it, going, oh, what have you done? Right? She still gets shit about it. I mean, mass. I've seen people <laughs> scream at her, you know, at a convention really? where they see her really? name and go, you! You're really, really angry about it. So it's a weird it's thing, very misery. It? It, uh, well, it, you know, she does get a bit of grief from it. It's a brave thing to do, to actually do that. Yeah. And then kill them off. So just before we see if there are any questions, I wanted to kind of ask, because we started with where you are in your writing cycle, I wanted to know what is distracting you all at the moment from writing, mm. starting with Imran. Reading, you mean? Well, what are <laughs> we reading? anything. Oh, anything. No, what's yeah. distracting you from writing? Yeah. Oh, at the moment, fantastic sport. Just, I, I know, I mean, it's just what a fantastic time of year. Rugby World Cup, Cricket World Cup, the, the Ryder Cup, which is just fantastic. I just love watching those big sporting events. Anything to be honest, I'm distracted by a woodpecker in the garden. I mean, it's so you want to, we want to be distracted, don't defrosting we? Defrosting the freezer, defrosting the freezer, dusting the skirting boards. Yeah, I mean, anything is better than writing. Yeah. Uh, 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 My answer would be this shit. <laughs> oh yeah, that's true. <laughs> oh come on, it hasn't been that much work, is it? Put a tent. Can up. I just? Uh, <laughs> I, just I genuinely, I want to tell you this just so you appreciate what's going on in Tony Kent's world, right? He decided to organise a massive literary festival and move house in the same week. So that is the very definition of stress in that man's life. It is. What about you? On Monday, I'm starting a six-week trial in Suffolk as well. Just because, yeah, okay. why not? The kids, I've got, I've got two, two children. One of them is three years old. And she's been three for about ten years, as far as I can tell. <laughs> and she doesn't sleep, which means I don't sleep. I don't know why she, she's been three for so long. I've just had enough now. I want her to be 18 or 15. Yeah, but I've well, got on the feeling. other hand, she does write the books. She does write the books. Yeah, she's very good. <laughs> I've got a feeling, and I've never met her, but the, judging by the way you looked when you told me that, that she's got you wrapped around her finger, would I be right? Yeah, yeah. yeah that's true. Aww. They're both of them, actually. They're both. The older ones are kind of. She's very bright. I think she might be a writer. She's already. In fact, she wrote. She wrote a book, and then I stupidly, and then she said, "Oh, can you get it published?" I, I've met your agent. So then I <laughs> had to phone my agent up and say, oh, I've got this. And then, so and she kept asking. And then she spoke to the agent. And the agent, as a lie, said, Oh, yeah, we'll publish it. We really liked it. And she said, She's seven, she was seven years old. So then I had your to. Your agent go, is seven years agent old. agent is seven years old. <laughs> that explains a so lot. So then okay. I, had to, I had to get <laughs> made into a, like a photo book. So then I gave it to her and I said, Oh, it's been published. And then, to my horror, she came back from school one day and said, we've got a show and tell tomorrow. I told my teacher I've published a book. <laughs> so I've got to take it in to show them. Where can it be bought? <laughs> oh, no. Yeah, when yeah, the lie yeah, gets yeah, too big. Yeah, man. And did she even thank you in the acknowledgements? <laughs> 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 
Uh, right, a couple of questions from the floor, and then we'll find out what they're all reading. Gentlemen, from yeah, go ahead. Oh, good that's a great question. question. Would a crime writer make a good criminal? Uh, th- th- I suppose the theory no. being that you've explored so many crimes, have you ever found the perfect way to do it? No. No, they wouldn't. <laughs> it's as simple as but that. A criminal barrister, a criminal would, barrister be. <laughs> would be a great criminal. A crime writer would be a terrible criminal because it's not real. Right? They take out, we, we, we take out 80% of, of the shit. Uh, it's as simple as that. There is so much more to it than you'll ever read in a book because a book is written to, be, to entertain you. And it takes all the stuff that's entertaining. When you look at reality, the other 80% is just drudge. And no, no, the, the, the crime writer wouldn't know about that drudge. I think we would be a lot better than your average but you're civilian, an ex-cop. though. No, you're an ex-cop. You, 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 you know the drudge. Oh, the police would be really good then. The police would be great. Well, we are. I mean, they are, aren't they? That's the problem. (laughs) (laughs) The best criminals are the people who either nick or defend criminals. But, Claire, because you've spoken about this on bestsellers with us before, how many smart criminals did you ever nick? Oh, very few. Very few. 90% of crimes are incredibly boring and 90% of criminals are really stupid. That's why they get caught. The the story I always like to tell very quickly is about a guy, a a burglar who used to get arrested again and again and again for house burglaries and always in the same way uh, because what he would do is he would be bailed and uh, he would tuck his bail sheet into his back pocket (laughs) and then he would go break into a house and his bail sheet would fall out and he would leave it at the crime scene with his name, address, and date of birth. Excellent. Excellent. I, I saw one I, where I, I, I did something quite similar to that. I, the, you broke what, into a house? Yeah, many times. <laughs> <laughs> um, I, I was prosecuted. One of my very last, I, I defend exclusively, but one of my very last prosecutions was a burglary. And it was a chap who'd burgled this same house seven times. And we tried to get all the, and we had a very weird judge, wouldn't allow us to tell the jury this. So we had to keep it quiet, except this guy then in cross-examination said, listen, I don't even know the area, mate. I've got no idea. I wouldn't know this house from, I would, how would I ever, how would I know what house you're talking about? I said, because you burgled it seven times in the past. <laughs> and this was the eighth time. And I mean, this is, the, that level of, of criminal is just stupid. I saw an interview with a guy who was being, who was being charged with burglary and the, the police, the police were interrogating him. Uh, and he was just denying it. He was just going, no, it wasn't me, it wasn't me. And the, and the copper said to him, but we've got an eyewitness who can identify you. And he went, that's rubbish. I was wearing a balaclava. <laughs> <laughs> I promise you. I promise you. <laughs> I, I, have, I, I remember one once. I was in, right, Imran, have you been to South End Crown Court as was? Yeah. yeah, yeah. It, South End Crown Court is this really long building. Really. So you've got a concourse. It's like 100 metres, isn't it? Maybe yeah, more. Yeah, very. And this guy walked up the steps. And as he walked up the steps, I was at the other end and I shouted out to him. I actually shouted out, I said, Oi, Mr. So-and-so, I'm your barrister. And when we met, he said, we must have met before. I said, no, I've just seen the fucking CCTV. <laughs> <laughs> That's how obvious it was. It was you. <laughs> I, I had a, a defendant who was talking about stupid um, defendants who was being cross-examined and... Um, the prosecution's putting their case and they're saying you're guilty of these five. He was on five counts, five counts on indictment. You're guilty of all of these. And he said, I swear on my kids' lives, <laughs> counts one, three, and five, I didn't do. <laughs> <laughs> the guy said, what about the other two? And he went, well, obviously I didn't do those either. But <laughs> <laughs> 
So we always end our podcast by getting recommendations of what else people can read to share the joy of reading. So think of a book to recommend. And I think we've just got time for one question from Tony's brother, was it? No. Yeah. <laughs> no? No, okay. no change your mind. Change there there mind. was one more question down the front. Yeah. Where do you get your characters from? There's, a, there's an internet site that Tony Kent uses called Characters R Us. And you can <laughs> it's .com. And then literally for £5, you can buy a very basic character. You spend a bit more, you get someone who's a bit more involved. You spend a bit more, you get an Imran character. You spend a lot more, you get a Mark character. But, yeah, at the end of the day, I'm quite tight. Yeah. No, my, uh, since you referred to me, you insulting bastard. Um, I, I, no, I, I, all different places, just life generally, all different places. I, I've already said Dempsey is, is Maximus in my mind. He is Maximus Decimus Meridius set now. But other characters, completely differently. Michael Devlin is the person I want to be. Uh, he's the barrister I want to be. He's slim and good-looking and talented. I'd like to be him. Exactly. He's the blonde Irish Imran. But, um, but, but yeah, I mean, for example, one of my favourite characters is a character called Bambi O'Rourke. I, I got the name in an auction. Um, so, yeah, there, was a, there was a charity auction to name a character, and someone was Bambi O'Rourke, and it was brilliant. And I watched an episode of, of, of um, Somebody Please Feed Phil on Netflix, which is this great show it's with a great man show. that... It's a great show, yeah, show. With a man who made Everyone Loves Raymond, just travelling the world, eating. And he was in Louisiana, and there was this, there was this black woman there uh, from Louisiana who was just brilliant. Every, every, it, you just watched her and thought, oh, I, we need to have her in, a, in, a, in something. And so she became Bambi O'Rourke. And it was, a, it was an element, a, a tiny bit of Columbo, mixed with this woman. So they come from everywhere. They come just from just from living. Yeah, um, I was just going to mention Don? one character. My, my favourite character was a was a, he's a, my second book. And he's a homeless um, man. And what had happened was that I'd met this guy when I was sixteen. He was um, it was really interesting because I, I, at sixteen I was at the local library quite a lot. We didn't have books in our, our house. I grew up without any books and the in a septic tank. In a septic tank. <laughs> Uh, the only the only books I ever saw were were, were in the library, and so I used to go there. And there was um, there was a guy there. He was homeless. He had kind of long beard. He kind of smelled quite uh, badly. Three inches of kind of grime on his face. And he, he I remember he was always sitting there reading, and he was reading like the New Scientist and all of this. Kind of, and I, I found it quite surprising. I initially thought, oh, he's he's only there. To keep warm because it was cold and then one day he came to me and he said um he saw that i was studying french and he said oh, do you want to buy some french literature and i said yeah have you have you got any he says yeah he says i'll, I'll bring some in so he brought in Gide and moyac and all, all of this kind of french french literature and he was selling to me it didn't once occur to me where he might have got this french literature from us being in a library <laughs> and him being <laughs> Turned out that it was his, and he, and he would keep he would keep his books with a with a friend. And then later on, I went to school and spoke to the teacher, and he said, oh, "I see you've met." His name was Gordon. I see, see you've met Gordon. And I said, oh, "Who is he?" And he says, "Oh, well, he was one of our top students. He was he, like he did five A levels, five A's, and then went uh, got into." And Oxford University. He was a high flyer. He went to London to to work in a blue chip company, and then he came back like this, and nobody knew what had happened to him. He wouldn't talk about it. Well, I remember speaking to him about it, 
and at 16 saying, in my 16-year-old head, I was saying, but you could be rich. <laughs> What's, what happened? And he just says, look, I've, I, all he would tell me is, look, I've done my time, and now it's for you to do what you want with your life, but I, I've decided not to. I'm opting out. And it stayed with me for 40 years, and then I, in, in the end I had, to, I had to write about him. So, yeah, it's, it's kind of stealing and cheating just to take a character and make a story out of him. Keep it light, mate, yeah. <laughs> As he was saying that, all I was thinking was the Dave Chappelle thing where he says, cocaine's a hell of a drug. <laughs> right, should we get some recommendations and then we should go because we're going to be some karaoke, isn't there? Uh, Claire Mack, what have you loved recently? I am oh, two-thirds of the way through MJ Arledge's Eye for an Eye and it is brilliant. Tony? Devil You Know by the man sitting over there, Neil Lancaster. Again, yeah, yeah, great book. Brilliant. Great book. Another former copper, isn't it? Yep. Yeah, yeah we one. won't hold that against He's a wrong one. <laughs> He's a wrong one. Mark, what have you read uh, recently? The most recent Mick Heron book, The Secret Hours, just yeah. sickeningly brilliant. Uh, and I'm reading a brand new a debut novel, a proof of a debut novel, which is coming out next year, called Deadly Animals by Marie Tierney, which I urge you to buy when it comes out. Amazing. I've just finished reading Chris Whitaker's new one, oh. Oh, The Colours of the Dark. Top draw. Really, really beautiful writing. And conclude by giving us the title and release of your next books. It is called Finding Sophie and out in March. Uh, the Wrong Hands is out May next year. The Shadow Network is out on February the 15th, 2024. 2024. <laughs> <laughs> I'm still all about A Game of Lies, out in hardback now, paperback in the spring. Claire McIntosh, Tony Kent, Mark Billingham, Imran Mahmoud. Thank you so much for joining us. Give them a massive round of applause for being amazing. (laughs) Wonderful people, wonderful writers. Uh, And also, just while you're here, just a final round of applause for everyone who's helped to put this on, for Russell on sand, and for Tony and all of Tony's helpers who've made this possible. Huge round of applause for the amazing children's films.